Okay, we're just going to get started uh, because I have about five hours worth of material <laughs> and I got an hour and a half to do it in. So um, I've kind of made an executive decision. I don't like to rush. And so I'm just going to go through certain sections of this. I have a lot of this information already in a series uh, that's on, online on Rumble that I'll talk about in a minute. Um, so uh, this is, uh, there's, there's just a lot of information on this. Uh, I, I have the privilege to work with patients every day that are suffering with either long COVID or long vacs. Uh, and this is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I believe that we are just now seeing the early tip of the spear of what's going to happen because of, because of uh, basically the, the toxic effects of the spike protein. And, uh, and so we, we are in a unique uh, position as a church that has a, such an amazing health message. But we need to make sure that we understand what we're dealing with so that we can use the principles that have been available to us for over 100 years, but apply them effectively and at the right time. Because it's all about applying them right away. If you don't apply them right away, we failed the individual. We failed the public. And as Dr. Hess has already pointed out several times uh, this, in, during this series, uh, if, if there's anything that we learn throughout this uh, COVID pandemic is that our public health system is broken, horribly broken. I mean, I have a doctorate in public health and I'm ashamed. I am ashamed of our public health system, okay? Um, uh, it's not just incompetence, by the way. In fact, it's a lot more, it's a lot deeper than incompetence. And I'm ashamed of our medical system that utterly failed the public and the individual in, in the event of, of an infection that should have been very easy to treat. In fact, was very easy to treat if it, was, if it had been treated like any other infection in the past hundred years. Okay, and, and if we had, especially if we'd used the principles that were available to us as, as a church. Our health message principles would have, if they'd been incorporated initially, would have essentially solved the problem of the epidemic, of the pandemic. Uh, so, um, so let's just uh, jump right in here. The, uh, here's a, a quote from uh, uh, Testimonies, volume seven, page 62. Everywhere people are perishing for the lack of knowledge. That's where we failed. Everybody failed. Uh, not, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but every organization failed on this point. We, we essentially collectively failed to educate the public properly. Not, not always because we didn't have the information or we didn't, we, we didn't know the information, but many, many, we either were afraid to give the information or we were censored in giving the information. As an example, uh, February 2020, I, I, early on I saw what was happening and uh, I, 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 did a, I did a seminar that was placed on YouTube 
that was focusing on hydro, the principles of hydrotherapy. We did it in our church. We used our youth pastor as the, as the patient, and, and we, we did a whole session. We showed everybody how to do fomentations and hot, cold fomentation hydrotherapy as a way to <clears throat> optimize the adaptive immune system. We already knew at that time, we are beginning to understand at that time, that the real critical part of COVID, of this type of viral infection, is more to do with an inability of the adaptive immune system to recognize what's happening. Kind of like a Ladielcean immune system. I've actually never thought of that, that analogy, uh, never even mentioned before, but that's what it is. Our immune system is kind of Ladielcean. So, you know, we're good, we're in want of nothing. We don't have to do anything. We just feel a little sick. We just, you know, just, just relax and, you know, do, do whatever at home, you know, and don't have to go to work, okay? But, but the cares of life go on. There's no, there's, no immediate, there's no sense of danger of impending doom. There's like, and, and so the, the adaptive immune system stays, comp, it's, it's compromised, it is basically Laodicean, that's the best term I've ever thought of. Um, it's just doing whatever. It's, it's not doing a good job. It's allowing that virus to replicate and replicate and build and build exponentially so that by the end of, of four, five, six, seven days, that virus has you. And now you're moving from the viral phase into the inflammatory phase and if you didn't do a good job of treating the viral phase, good luck with the inflammatory phase, okay? And then that leads to all kinds of other pathophysiologic damage to the body um, that goes into the, the super inflammatory phase or the cytokine storm phase, which, which is what oftentimes took people's lives where the lungs literally fill up. You know, they, they, you're either getting micro blood clots all through your lungs, and so you can't, you can't transfer oxygen from the lungs to the bloodstream and to the body. Uh, you, you, you just basically suffocate. Um, everything that was done from a late treatment standpoint for the pandemic was ineffective, was, was wrong. Okay, it, should, it, it all has to do with early intervention and the appropriate intervention. That would have solved this problem. So, um, so I, I was, we were doing this hydrotherapy lecture at our church and uh, had it on YouTube. And uh, within a short time, it was deleted by YouTube. And I'm thinking, what? This is a video on hydrotherapy, right? We're trying to provide an early treatment, a home treatment option for patients that, you know, they were told, go home, you know, and if, if, if your uh, oxygenation goes down enough, you can't breathe, you know, then, then go to the hospital. And then you get put on a ventilator, ventilator and you know what happened there, right? So the, the, the bottom line here is that I, I, was, I was actually shocked that it had been taken off. And I, I chose not to do anything about it myself. Uh, I, I already understood about what was happening globally in terms of censorship, so I realized what was happening. But our IT manager at our church, 
he, he actually challenged it. He, he, he actually wrote a letter. You know, I don't know how he did that, but he, he wrote an email to YouTube and, and challenged why was this being censored. And they wrote back and says, you're promoting violence in the community. And at the time, I mean, I was like, what? Violence? What? A, a video on, on hydrotherapy techniques, right? What could be less violent than that, right? I mean, you're doing something. It's like, it's like putting a video on massage therapy, and then they say, no, you can't do that. That's promoting violence. Well, um, it was only much later than I realized what was happening. Because violence is referring to hate speech, and hate speech refers to anything that disagrees with the narrative. And so that was actually seen as a challenge to the powers that be and what they were trying to accomplish. I gave, an, a, a, about a week later, I did another presentation in Camarillo, California a church that is heavily involved in, in the right arm of the gospel. And because um, and, this, was, this was still February, March of 2020, so it was still, uh, there's a lot, a lot of unknowns, right, at the time. And so my whole weekend series, Friday night, Sabbath sermon, Sabbath afternoon uh, presentation, was all about uh, get, getting, getting ready for the storm. Now, I made, a, I made a big mistake early on in the pandemic. A lot of us health professionals did. Uh, and I think it's important that we own up to what we did was, what we said was wrong or what we believed was wrong as soon as possible because lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. Uh, we, can, we, we can't just worry about, well, we don't want our reputation to be harmed because we were promoting something that was, was uh, you know, ended up being really bad for the public. So the, mistake, the big mistake I made is that I bought in to the analytics lie, the falsification of an analytics, uh, that was coming out of big institutions, Los Alamos Laboratory, released reportedly, uh, uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, 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 organizations in London, that was basically saying this pandemic is going to wipe out many, many millions of, of individuals in every country. I mean, it was like it was going to just like be the most devastating pandemic ever. Okay? And, but the only way that that would have been true is that there had been no treatment at all, which of course was false from the very beginning because there's always been really good treatments for viral illness, always. But they acted like there was nothing. And, um, and so the, 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 the critical thing here is that we need to understand that everywhere people are perishing. And, and so, but, I, I, I actually added to the state of fear in my presentations early on, okay, about, about and, and in one way, rightly so, because it made people aware that they needed to do something. Fortunately, I had the right solution, 
had the right solution at the time, which was what we know from our health message and by reasoning from cause to effect. What do we do for viral illnesses? Well, how do we use hydrotherapy? How do we use simple and natural remedies effectively? And that's gonna be the focus today. And, um, and so, but, but I even wrote the, the president of Walla Walla University where my daughters were in school. And I put, I, I, I was a little heavy handed. I mean, obviously I, I couldn't force anybody to do anything, but uh, I, I was strongly advocating for closing the school. That, that was a huge mistake I made. Okay, we now know that that was like the worst thing possible. If, if we hadn't had no lockdowns at all, the pandemic would have gone through like a cold. If we'd had early treatment and no lockdowns, it would have been over in one season, completely over, okay? Uh, and, uh, and instead, we focused on doing nothing and waiting for a therapy that was even worse than the problem. And I'm talking about the vaccine. Okay, so, so, so we, in other words, I, I by the way, my, my daughter graduated from nursing last uh, spring at Walla Walla. Now walking through the outdoor graduation area and somebody came up to me and put, put their hand on my shoulder and I turned around, it was the president of the university. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was just congratulating me uh, for, uh, for my daughter's graduation. And, um, and, and I said to him, he says, you know what, I, uh, I owe you an apology. And he says, for what? He says, because of how I, I, I just harassed you. And I, I didn't try to harass him, but I, I sent him many pointed emails saying like, you gotta deal with this. Because I'd bought into that narrative that was actually fabricated. There was never any it was all a made up model of risk. It was all fabricated. There was ne never once published and documented and peer reviewed, but you never heard about that. It was just like, they get you to do what they want you to do. Uh, and even though it was a big fabrication, then they move on to the next thing and then they forget about that. So we should not forget about that. We gotta be careful what we believe. We need to, we need to make sure that we are we need to make sure that we're on the right side of history on this, especially those of us that care about the right arm of the gospel. Because if we end up being on the wrong side of this historically, when people look back at our message and go like, oh yeah, those were the people, weren't they actually promoting all the things that have been proven to be devastating to the public health? Think about that consequence. That's what I think about every day. That's what, that's what makes me so passionate about this topic because if we're not on the right side of this, many people are going to go to their graves and many people will reject our message because of our stance. The right arm, the, the right arm is, the, is, is, is the key aspect of drawing people into the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if the right arm is fraudulent, if the right arm is focusing on the wrong things, it will not draw people into the gospel. It will become the, the right fist of the gospel, okay, that will turn people away. And we cannot afford to have that because every, 
Every person who, who needs to accept Jesus is, is worth, Jesus would have died on the cross just for that one person. So we need to make sure that we're on the right side of this. Okay, so everywhere people are perishing for lack of knowledge of the truths that have been committed to us, those who have been enlightened by the truth are to be light bearers to the world. To hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake. And I think that that's what has happened so far. And I'm so glad to be part of this organization to make sure that we are now moving forward uh, with, with the power of the gospel, with the power of Jesus Christ, and to using these methods where Jesus mingled with people to show them that he really cared about them. That's the power of the, of the health message is that we're doing something that makes a difference. We're extending ourselves for the purpose of nurturing somebody's benefit. And they recognize that and then they start asking, what else do you have to share with us? All right, so, um, the, um, so as I was contemplating this last night, I saw this in my notes. I don't know if this is original to me or somewhere else, so I, that's why I didn't quote it. Uh, but I think it's original to me. Says, Knowing something to be true, but not acting on it, has the same result as not believing it or believing it to be false. So we need to make sure that if we, if we know a truth, if we understand something, we need to stand for it. We need to act on it, and we need to share that information and not hide it under a bushel because that's what's been happening all around the world is that people in the know have been hiding this information under a bushel because they don't want to be censored. They don't want to get into trouble. They don't want to lose their job. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to be controversial. And I understand that. I don't want any of that either, okay? But sometimes we have to take a stand because so much is at stake. Um, okay, so I, I saw this, this uh, quote attributed to Bill Gates. He said, never before in history has innovation offered promise of so much to so many in so short a time. And I remember, wow, that's, of course, that's a very generalized statement, but, but within context, I go like, wow. Okay, so think of this in the context of what is truth. In, in other words, who do we believe? Okay, um, yeah, remember that, that uh, statement from Joshua. Choose you this day whom you will serve, right? We have, to, we have to take a stand in terms of who we believe and what truth is. Because right now, with a broken medical system and a broken public health system, not just in the U.S., but in the world, it's, it's, the public has lost trust in health and public health. Rightly so. They should lose trust in it because of what, how they were uh, deceived and manipulated uh, as so, so egregiously. Okay, so, uh, so basically, I, as I contemplated on this, I, 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 I basically came up with this. Never before have we harmed so many people in so little time with a worldwide coordinated effort of broken promises. And I'd, I don't have the time right now to go through all those broken promises, but you all know what those were, right? It says, uh, 
you know, uh, you, you got to get up to herd immunity. You know, if, if, uh, the, the vaccine will prevent the infection. Uh, it'll prevent transmission. And, and it was just one lie after a lie after lie. It was never true. They knew it from the beginning. It had never been shown to be true. So how could they say that? Okay, so in other words, these, all these broken promises that now, three and a half years later, we realize we, we, it's, it's, it's accepted, it's, it's, uh, it's recognized by everybody, but it's like, oh, well, you know, let's just move on to the next thing, but nothing has changed. Uh, so Franklin Delano Roosevelt once said, never before have we had so little time in which to do so much. Does that relate to us? Uh, man, that, that just gives me goosebumps thinking about this. We are on the cusp of the end of time. Never before have we had so little time in which to do so much. So this is so critical. And so um, never before in history have so many been sick and disabled or died from a medical procedure that was mandated to so many, benefited so few, and ultimately was both unnecessary and ineffective. So I've said from the very beginning, okay, um, for instance, arguably the world's leading vaccinologist, or at least the, 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 our country, America's leading vaccinologist, Dr. Paul Olfit, he, stand, he sits on the FDA advisory panel, uh, advising the FDA as to whether to approve or, or, or emergency authorize various vaccines. So Dr. Poff, I remember I, I, I was studying this hours every day, and I have for the last three and a half years. So this is not a topic I just have a passing interest in. I know more about this than I do diabetes. I knew more about this than I know about anything, and I'm an expert on those things, right? So, um, so I... Uh, as, as, I, I was, as I was looking at this, okay, I, I realized that, as, as, that Dr. Paul Offit, his original interviews, in fact, I, I still have a hard copy because I figured it would be taken off the internet after a while. It was in an interview with the chief editor of the Journal of American Medical Association. And this was, this was in still 2020 when Trump was still in office and Operation Warp Speed was going forward, okay? And, and of course, that was also a travesty, okay? That should have never happened uh, uh, the way it happened uh, because obviously they cut all kinds of corners. They broke every rule of public health and research to get that vaccine not approved. It was not, it was not approved for a long time they, in order to, in fact, the current vaccines are not even approved. The ones that are being used are still not technically approved. Okay, they, but they have emergency use authorization, even though there's no more emergency. So, so the, the, uh, Dr. Paul Offit in his interview, uh, this was, I believe, in September of 2020, during Operation Warp Speed, before the election, and, uh, and he, he was uh, basically being interviewed by the chief editor of the journal American Medical Association, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world. And they were raising all the potential objections to the vaccine. Remember, Trump was in charge, okay? And, and at the time, there was 
all the, the, pub, the political social media campaign was, if Trump promotes this vaccine, I'm not going to take it. Remember that? It was like a completely opposite of what happened afterwards, after the election. Okay, and so, so it's, it's interesting on how, you know, obviously they can't both be right. <laughs> so, so, so we need to find out what the truth is here. And, um, and so Dr. Paul Offit, as a vaccinologist, was going through all the past research. You know, the mRNA technologies have been studied for over a decade, and they use that as a reason to promote it, when in fact, that's the actual reason to never, never, ever get an mRNA vaccine, because all the research that had been done had failed time after time after time because it was killing the animals. So they actually completely bypassed animal research on this new vaccine. I wonder why. Well, we don't have to wonder why. We can just, you know, we have been called upon in our health message over and over again. It says we need to be effective at reasoning from cause to effect. That is our responsibility. We, we should never abdicate that responsibility to some scientist especially when they say, I am science. Kind of like Pilate saying, what is truth? Meaning, I'm Pilate, I'm the magistrate. Truth is what I say it is. And that's what's happening right now in medicine. Truth is whatever the powers say it is. And of course, that's not the truth I'm gonna follow, right? Uh, and I hope it's not the truth you're gonna follow either. Okay, so. Uh, uh, bottom line, if we had if been, been proactive from the very beginning with early treatment using natural and simple methods that we all have had access to for ever since we were born, okay, there would have been no pandemic. In other words, by law, in the United States at least, you cannot authorize, even emergency authorize a vaccine unless, if there is a treatment for that condition. And there was always a treatment. But they censored every attempt to promote treatment. After my talk in Camarillo in February of 2020, I got an email from somebody who had been at the presentation. And they said, hey, um, I'm connected with one of the generals at the Pentagon who's very interested in having a copy of your presentation. Now, at the time, I had no idea what that meant. It's like, why would somebody in the Pentagon care about my presentation, right? So I just, well, I'm glad somebody cares, right? And so I, I, I sent it over, and I, I still would today. But it was only later that I started understanding the implications of what was going on. Uh, so, um, so basically, uh, I believe based on my deep study on the topic, the vaccine was never needed in the first place, um, and it was never shown to be effective no matter what they say in, in the media on that, okay? And it was clearly never shown to be safe. In fact, that's the worst part. And here's, here's the key, just to understand my position on it, is that, is that even if the vaccine had been truly 100% effective, Okay, and I'm not comparing it to the 95% that they quote because that's not real in my mind. I think that's fabricated. That's, that's, that's magical mathematics. 
Okay, I know because I've taken every single biostatistics and epidemiology class, almost everyone, at the School of Public Health when I was a student. And one of, one of my favorite books from that, that my, my, uh, my graduate work there, was How to Lie with Statistics. You can deceive people with telling factual information, but they, they, they actually think something different than what you're, than what you're saying. Okay, that, that's the problem. That's called marketing, by the way. Okay, is you can deceive people with facts. Okay, and, and then we have fact checkers that deceive people by altering the, the facts. Anyway, so, um, so completely unnecessary, ineffective, and certainly unsafe. Because that's, that's what leads us to the issue of dealing, treating the condition. Uh, now, I believe... I believe that both the, the, vac the, the uh, infection, the COVID infection, had serious consequences. I know there's people that say that that was completely, there was nothing to it. No, no, the spike protein, whether from the infection or from the vaccine, is a toxin. Okay, you need to understand that's what it is. It's a toxin. Okay, and so, so the whole idea of making a vaccine that promotes the production of a toxin was just ridiculous. Okay, but, but uh, and, and so I'm gonna be sharing you with you, so whether or not, most of us have had some level of COVID, we've been at least exposed to it, okay? And so we have some level of immunity against it, so we don't have to be afraid of acute complications from being infected again. But the problem is, is that the spike protein actually causes immune dysfunction actually makes us more likely to get sick in any way. It actually depresses our immune system's ability to protect ourselves against the common cold, against the flu, against Ebola, against anthrax, against cancer, against anything. Okay, and so that's why this is so important. If people have persistent symptoms after a mild COVID infection, that is actually serious. Um, just last night, um, one of the reasons I'm speaking the way I am, just last night after I left the meetings, I get a call from one of my, one of my best friends who's um, very high up in the executive world. And, um, and I ended up talking to him for almost an hour. And I said, bye, I was going to actually give you a call to kind of run some statistics by you to make sure, because he's a he, he, he's brilliant mathematician and uh, analyst and and um, and so and he said, oh, so but yeah, something his voice was off. Something was wrong. He says, uh, see, I got to tell you, this is my my top my top uh, employee, one that I rely on for everything. Just came out of surgery today with glioblastoma. Now, that touched me because my mother, when I was living right here in Barron Springs, Michigan, and um, um, when I was 10 years old, died of glioblastoma. And, and I have theories of why that happened that I won't get into today. Um, but it's re relative to what we're talking about. Uh, so, so he said, 
So he was, he was, you know, desperate to try to find something that can be done, but he's already had surgery, but it's already growing, even days after the surgery. Um, my mother, 1971, my mother had a glioblastoma that was so big, by the time they, did, by the time they actually did the surgery, uh, she was having horrible headaches um, while we were on furlough in early 71. And I was young at that time because I was 10 years old. And um, she was having horrible headaches. And so finally we had to leave Bolivia where we, we were, uh, my father and, and mother were missionaries in Bolivia. And I, I want to honor my, my father and his wife Beverly and, and Beverly's daughter who are here today. Um, thank you for being a home for me while I'm in Michigan. <laughs> and um, so while we were, um, uh, so we had only been back to Bolivia for three weeks. Our headaches were so bad we had to, we were given 20 minutes to leave. I remember I was playing catch with my brother out in the front lawn in Bolivia where my father was the president of the, of the university, Adventist University in Bolivia. And, um, and we saw him drive up in the middle of the day. And you know, presidents don't get to just leave their work in the middle of the day. So my brother and I were like, what's dad doing home, right? And, uh, and he got out of the car and he was crying. I remember I, I just started crying. I'd never seen him cry just out of the blue like that. So I just started crying immediately. I, something's really wrong here, right? And, uh, and he said, uh, John and Wesley, uh, we got to pack up. You got 20 minutes. We're on the next flight out of here. So we went to Cochabamba and took the next flight out. And um, she was given four to six weeks to live. Okay, so her cancer actually had already after this, after this, before the surgery was the size of a, of a, I don't know if it was a golf ball or a tennis ball at that point, but it was big. So it was obviously causing horrible headaches. And, uh, and so they took a big part of her skull out so it could just expand. And so it just, the cancer just expanded, you know, just pushed out on the tissue. So, so that obviously made an impression on me as a 10 year old, right? And, uh, and so now my, my good friend is telling me about his, you know, really good friend who has three children, um, who now has this horrible diagnosis and horrible, horrible cancer. And so I knew what the next question was, because uh, I work with patients every day. And I said, um, was he vaccinated? And, uh, and, and I always do that very carefully. I never judge anybody, because I know people made decisions based on really bad information. I get that. Um, but part of the reason is because there was not enough people talking about this like we're doing right now. If more people had done that, if I had been more adamant about that, maybe there'd be less people dying, maybe there'd be less people disabled, maybe there'd be less people with chronic disease. And um, so, so uh, my friend says, yes, he says, I begged him not to do it two and a half years ago. But he was very eager to travel um, uh, overseas to, to uh, attend to some important family business. And, um, and so he did. He got the two-shot series. 
Within weeks after that, he started getting intractable headaches. Went to see his doctor many times. Says, what's going on? Why am I having these headaches? And I'm getting this flashback back to my mom. I was having these headaches. And, um, well, the end result of it was uh, glioblastoma. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't prove that it was caused by the vaccine. But we have to reason from cause to effect. We can't hide behind the lack of research that was never done and will never be done. They stopped that double-blinded study that was never really double-blinded. We know that because of the British Medical Journal whistleblower. Uh, one of the researchers said that we knew who had been vaccinated who had it. It was right in the chart. Okay, it was never done right. Okay, and it was published in one of the top medical journals of the world. Of course, created a lot of controversy because there was a lot of money at stake and a lot of power and intent at stake. So, so bottom line here, we have a major challenge ahead of us um, where, you know, I, I just can't help but, but realize that this is, this is not me against whoever or us against each other. This is, this is a deeper battle. This isn't about people that have different opinions. Okay, we're, I am a full believer that everybody should have the right to believe what they want to believe and act in the way they want to, as long as it's not endangering other people. Uh, and, and so this, this, these two verses from Ephesians 6 really encapsulate what's going on, what we're up against. And, and so we need to be very gracious in one respect, recognizing that the people on the other side of this issue of this controversy and it is part of the great controversy it is okay so those individuals that are on the other side they're being played just like I got played at the beginning they're being played most of them actually believe in what they in what they're thinking and, and so part of it is just having having dialogues and getting more information out because people perish with lack of knowledge. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's what's going on. Okay, there's a plan going on here. And um, against powers. Can you think of some powers involved that are trying to control us? Yes, I mean, that's pretty obvious. It's very obvious what's going on. Now, our public health system failed us. The World Health Organization completely failed us. I was part of, um, in fact, my father and I were at, attended the very first global summit of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Geneva, Switzerland, 2009. I was giving a talk there on diabetes reversal. While there, I was kind of shocked by the fact that represent top level representatives from the World Health Organization and the United Nations presented at our summit suggesting that we should basically put all our resources into their projects. We should partner with them and let them be in charge. And there was even a resolution that was drafted by our own leadership at the time that would actually help move that direction. It did not, that resolution did not occur. Did not occur. 
And, and that happened in, behind closed doors. I wasn't part of that closed door discussion, okay? But I, could, I was there and I saw what happened. It was irrefutable. And I, I shudder to think uh, of what may have happened if we had really actually gone that direction more so. I mean, we, we already did in a many respects. We have to be very careful of the partnerships we as a church organization have with other organizations. We have a unique calling that cannot be diluted. We cannot start doing somebody else's bidding, whether it's the World Health Organization, etc., which does not allow proselytizing. We cannot be the right arm of the gospel without the gospel. Okay, so, so uh, we have to be really careful amongst both locally, regionally, and nationally and worldwide. We, we cannot partner with other organizations. We can work with them, but don't sign anything that in any way suggests that we are relinquishing various responsibilities to them. We're just kind of funneling the, the money towards them. Bad, bad idea. Okay, so, so uh, verse Ephesians 6.13 then says, well, let me finish. So against the rulers of darkness of this world, Okay, do you believe what the Bible says here? I mean, this is, this is what's happening right now. We're, we're up against the, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's what we're up against. Okay, so uh, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, here's the key. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. You can bring in the analogy. The whole armor of God is the entire health message. Okay, from an analogous perspective, says if we're going to be effective in dealing with health and disease, says we have to have the whole armor. We can't just do a little bit of it. We can't just do this. We can't just be experts in one area. We have to have the entire armor. And that's, that's what we need to, to emphasize. That's why I'm so glad to be part of this conference. Uh, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This is going to be a huge challenge. And so if we, if we take advantage of what's available to us, I th we will succeed. That's, th this is a promise. This is a promise. Okay, so um, Ellen White, uh, 1901, she said, I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines, but medical missionary work. The work of a minister is to minister. In other words, we need to, as Dr. Hess said this morning, says that there's going to become a time when it's basically going to be small groups of people doing medical missionary work. Okay, and, and it's, going to be, it's going to be the time that our health message will shine and will truly be the right arm because the medical... I just saw an article two days ago that hospitals are shutting down across the United States right and left. I mean, all kinds of community hospitals are, are shutting down. We don't have enough hospitals as it is. And the hospital, you know, that during the pandemic, that's the last place you wanted to be was the hospital. Okay? The only hope was early in-home treatment. That was the only hope. Okay, so, um, all right. So, th so this is a quick overview. And this overview is primarily looking at, looking at, 
what's available on another series that I'm gonna share with you real quick. So what's the role of spike protein in causing injury? Uh, what's the uh, application of the Seventh day Adventist health message in a post-COVID world? Right? Reasoning from cause to effect, as I've mentioned, spikeopathy, the toxicity of the spike protein. This is, that's why it's so critical we understand that. And then who is at risk and what, what factors uh, increase risk? How COVID spike protein promotes diabetes, dementia, autoimmunity by inducing metabolic and immune dysfunction. That's gonna be more of a topic tomorrow night for the general session. Treatment strategies for spikeopathy, natural and simple. Our health message uh, focuses on natural methods and simple methods. That's what we need to be focusing on. Things that are available to the common people. Because, because you know, with, with, this, with the economy the way it's headed and the way healthcare is headed, pretty soon we're not gonna have access to traditional medical approaches. We're just not gonna have access. Okay, so it's gonna be us. It's gonna be you at home. How can you help people in your family and your community? That's, that's the way it's gonna be. So if you don't know how to do it, you're not gonna be part of this solution. Okay, so, uh, uh, and then preparing for the next wave of infections in an immune compromised population. That's the key thing. Even having COVID previously, even those of us that, that did enough research on our own to realize, no, I'm never gonna get that vax. Okay, like I, I, I never, never would have no matter what. In fact, I, I've, I've told many people this, and I really believe this. I would rather smoke and drink every day of my life than having even one of those mRNA vaccines. And I'm not being facetious. And I would never smoke and drink, and I never have. But I'm just helping you understand the, the immense importance of that comment. Okay, so like, for instance, we know statistically epidemiologically, that, that the amount of vitamin D in your bloodstream has more to do with your risk of cancer than whether you smoke or not. Did you know that? Okay, now that, that statement is not saying as long as you take plenty of vitamin D, you can smoke all you want. No, that's not what I'm, that, that says at all. It's just we need to do both. We need to put on the whole armor of God, right, in that respect. It says, but we need to understand that there's some simple remedies available to us that make all the difference in the world, okay? And, and we need to understand that there's some choices that we make that undo almost everything good that we've tried to do in the past. If I'm eating a wonderful big green salad every day for lunch, you know, that's just full of, you know, homegrown tomatoes and all kinds of good stuff, okay, but somebody sprinkled a little arsenic on it, is that salad gonna be good for me? That salad will not undo the damaging effect of that arsenic. So we need to understand that we need to avoid, avoid the things that are toxic to us. That's a big part of our health message. Avoid even the things that have mild toxicity. Many things that are completely ignored by the majority of Seventh-day Adventists today, where Alan White clearly points out that we should avoid this. This is a, this is a mild insidious poison. Okay, so we need to avoid the toxins and emphasize the things that nourish us and help heal and neutralize our, our health, our, our history of being exposed to those toxins. Okay, okay so um, you have access to 
this on Rumble. The, this is a seven-part series. Uh, back in April, April, May I, of 2023, I did a, I was asked to do a series for Danny Vieira, uh, his, his Health and Healing Crusade uh, that he does every year and ended up being online because his wife was due to deliver their second or third child. And, um, and so they decided to do it online. Was well, as, as I was preparing my talks, same thing to happen here for me this week is like, I had way too much information. So I said, Danny, says, I, I got a lot of information here. He says, uh, do you want me to just do a quick talk or do you want me to just talk until we're done? He says, we got all day. So we, we videotaped seven hours straight. That's what this is. Okay, so this is all on Rumble. Just go to rumble.com and type in my name and you'll see Danny Vieira's channel with these videos on it. Okay, so, so the, it, it provides a much broader understanding with detailed context and studies, okay? Um, so take advantage of that. Now, uh, it's, it's important as we, as we ask the question, what is truth? It reminds me of, a, uh, of a, something that my father-in-law, who is a great advocate of the health message, he had been an elder in the Methodist church for many years. He had married an Adventist lady, and, um, and he was very respectful of the Sabbath, but he didn't personally accept the Sabbath uh, until he got exposed to the health message, and he was so enamored by it, he started studying and reading and, and he became convicted and, and, and became a Seventh-day Adventist. And he would, he championed, he, he would have me do seminars at his church in, in uh, Mount Vernon, Ohio, every time we were home on furlough, every, every summer when we were home on furlough from 14 years as a medical missionary in Guam. Uh, so uh, so he, he told me this one day, as my father-in-law, he's very wise, I would listen to him. He says, he says Wes, one of the best things I ever did in college is to not take classes, but to take great, great teachers. In other words, he, he, picked, he picked classes that were being taught by great teachers, even if it wasn't the class that he wanted the most, because he knew he would learn the most from it. So, so in other words, we need to become adept and effective at listening and reading and following great men and women who have proven themselves to have integrity, okay? Not, not just knowledge, but integrity. This is really critical that we do. And this is, in, the, in this time that we're dealing with, we need to be careful who we believe, okay? And we need to study them to understand, is this somebody that most of what they say is right, but do they have the integrity overall to make the right decisions when it really comes down to challenging issues that could potentially take their job or change their livelihood? Uh, so um, wisdom then and true understanding comes from learning from the true greats, from those who have amassed great knowledge, but within the context of combined humility, integrity, and the courage to always speak truth in spite of the cost. So that's why at the beginning of the pandemic, I've always read widely. I've always read from both sides of the aisle, if, if you know what I mean. I, I am not one that just looks for information to support what I already believe. I want to know what the truth is. No matter where it takes me, I want to know what the truth is. Okay, and, 
and so that, so as I read studies and I, and, I, and I evaluated what people were saying from the very beginning, I started to realize who the people with integrity were. It took some time, because you never know. At first I was following some people that sounded like they had real integrity, but then I saw them be whiffed away by the wind, okay, of political uh, power or intrigue or financial, financial uh, interests. And so, so, this, so this is really careful. I'm, I'm thinking about like Dr. Peter McCullough, who's spoken here many times. He's a man of integrity. Uh, 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 clearly a man of integrity because he basically lost all his positions in academia and, and, and his medical work, lost every single one because of the, the, him, him willing to, be, uh, to, to stand firm and have the courage to say, no, this is wrong. Okay, and, and so that's, so we, we need to make sure we follow. People like... Uh, People like Dr. Paul Merrick, who I, I, I was, I was uh, uh, talking about his earlier research on curing sepsis at his hospital. Okay, back, back in 2018, I was, I was talking about his work on how he would, he revolutionized care of sepsis around the world, but most hospitals weren't willing to apply his methods because they were outside of their normal protocols, even though it saved so many more people. I mean, there was no question his protocol saved hundreds and hundreds of people from dying of sepsis. But hospitals just kind of wanted to do what they did. I mean, it's, it was shocking. It's shocking, but he had the integrity to hold firm. Uh, and, and he lost his position. We have Dr. Uh, um, Pierre Corey lost his positions. Okay, because of his willingness to speak at the U.S. Senate uh, committees and, and to speak passionately about what worked. He says that he was so frustrated that, 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 that everybody was down on ivermectin. There's still doctors in, in public who think that ivermectin is bad. I mean, it's like, what, you know, where are, I don't understand how somebody could believe that. There's so much research that says it's one of the most effective drugs ever. And it'll work against any virus. But the fact checkers have still kind of won the game on that uh, because they get a lot of money to publish whatever they're told to publish. Okay, so, so be careful. Make sure you stand on the shoulders of giants, not people, not self-promoters, and not people that have an agenda. Uh, okay, um, this, this quote from Education, page 57, is one of my favorite quotes from Ellen White because I remember my father uh, reciting this from memory many times as I was a child growing up. Thank you for instilling within me the importance of this message. Okay, so that the greatest one of the world is the want of men and women, men and women who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle is to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. That's what you and I need to be. Okay, because if we're not, we're part of the problem. Okay, because if we can't stand on this topic, we're gonna be part of the shaking that's gonna be shaken off 
very easily in the end when it comes to the final challenge of conscience, of worship. This is a litmus test, folks. This is a litmus test. Okay, and so we got to make sure we're on the right side. Okay, um, one of my favorite health-related quotes from Ellen White is this. It's a little-known quote. At least I haven't heard too many people use it before. But she says, if Adam, at his creation, had not been endowed with 20 times as much vital force as men and women now have, the race, with their present habits of living in violation of natural law, would have become extinct. Now let me help you understand the implications of that statement. This statement was made 100 years ago. She was saying 100 years ago that even the healthiest amongst us are barely holding on to 5%, 1 20th, 5% of the vital force, the ability to resist disease, the ability to withstand trauma of any kind, the ability to survive cancer or an accident or whatever it might be. Okay, that we're barely holding on, even the healthiest amongst us. So genomically speaking, I do genomic review, uh, studies with almost every patient I see. Uh, we, I have them do 23andMe, and then we do a deep dive into uh, the raw data. Not what 23andMe says, but what the raw data tells us genomically about their risk. That's insightful. That is powerful. That helps us understand what our unique genetic risk factors are and what we can do about it now in preparation so that we don't succumb to our natural weakness. That's all part of our health message, is understanding how to do that. Okay, so, so it's, well, let's go on here. Uh, so Nate, the, there's, um, if you read the first part of Genesis, it's very clear to me that you and I have an immortality gene. Physically, it's there. I, I can't point to it. I have ne not done the research on that. Nobody has. Okay, but if you believe what the Bible says, okay, in Genesis, and I do, um, we have an immortality gene. In other words, uh, the, the Godhead said if if we allow Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life as sinners, they will live forever as sinners. That's an interesting comment. In other words, for us to live forever in eternal life, we will have to eat from the tree of life. Okay? And I'm sure all of us will gladly do that. <laughs> okay? So, so, in other words, this is the ultimate hope that we can draw people's attention to. So no matter what is going on now, so my, my friend whose who, uh, who's best worker is, is, uh, is, is dying within, within months possibly, maybe a year, of glioblastoma, okay? There is hope for him because there is an immortality gene that someday can be activated. And if they basically hold on spiritually to the truth of the gospel that we're the right arm of, Okay, then he will have the chance to live forever in spite of the challenges that he is facing right now. Uh, so, 
That's good news. We can point people towards that. Um, so we have the ability now, though, to turn genes on and off, right? We have, we have the potential to uh, turn on the good genes, the genes that fight cancer and fight diabetes and fight Alzheimer's, et cetera, and turn, turn, uh, and, and turn on the gene or turn off the genes that actually promote those, those conditions. So we have, we have the ability to epigenetically change. So it's, it's critical that we understand our exposome, all the things in our lives, all the, all the things that we eat, that we drink, that we do, that we say, that we think influences our health in a dramatic, dramatic way because it changes the way our genes work. Okay, it changed, not to the extent, of course, that eating from the tree of life will, because that's the, that's the master gene that overrides everything that we'll soon have access to if we hold on, if we hold on to that gospel plow, which means we've got to hold on with the right arm too, right? Okay, if we hold on, we're going to be okay. All right, so... Um, of course, my favorite book, I read this as a young teenager and it changed my life. I read it in part because I was, I was fascinated with health. Why? Because my mother died when I was 10. I wanted to understand this process. Uh, okay, so let's go back. Okay, so the medical missionary work should be a part of the work of every church in our land and we've come to the time when every member of the church should take hold of this medical missionary work. Okay, so now, what, who is at higher risk of spike protein pathology? In other words, if, we're, if every member of the church needs to be involved, we need to understand these concepts. We need to understand what to do and why. So who's at risk? Anybody with a chronically unresolved medical condition. Okay, at our church right now, we're, we're running the Diabetes Undone program. It's a little weird hosting my own program, okay, but it actually works. You know, I, I can color comment for myself. Okay, so I, I don't have to do any preparation. It's a program, you know, if you do the Diabetes Undone program at the church, you just basically put on the videos and answer questions. Simple, okay, and you're doing something that the community needs desperately because almost everybody has a problem with blood sugars. Almost everybody as an adult has problems with blood sugars, okay? If you're over 40, over 50% of us have either prediabetes or diabetes. If we're over 75, 75% at minimum have at least prediabetes. So, so we could promote the diabetes, we could be running a diabetes undone program in a church ongoing, back to back, back to back, we, you, we do a 12-week series. It's set up as eight weeks, but I, I do it 12 so I can add other stuff to it, you know, like on the immune system, which is so critical right now. If you don't have a good immune system, forget about curing your diabetes. Forget about curing anything, okay? Because the immune system is the most critical thing to keep healthy in any chronic disease. Okay, so those who have genetic mutations to MTHFR, uh, PON, MTHFR has to do with DNA repair. Uh, one of the biggest problems with COVID uh, spike protein, whether it's from the infection or the vaccine, but especially the vaccine, is that it impairs DNA repair. 
Is that important? Yeah, it's critically important. And if we have an MTHFR mutation, which at least a third of the population does, and I, again, I do this on every, every patient. Um, in fact, I have patients right here in Barron Springs that I just see online on Zoom, and we, we go, go over the genetics. So uh, the PON1 is the mutation that if you have a double copy mutation to what I call the pony mutation, that means that your ability to break down pesticides and herbicides is greatly limited. You think that's going to increase your risk for health problems? Absolutely. So then we have to have a plan. How do we address the fact that part of our weakness has to do with this issue? Okay, then um, APOE4 is the Alzheimer's mutation. GAD um, is the ability to convert glutamate, the, the cytotoxic neurotransmitter, into GABA, the calming neurotransmitter. Okay, and that's dependent upon a gene. If mutated, that, that enzyme is now defective and can't convert that. So now you have this extra uh, neurologic excitotoxic substance in your brain all the time. One of the main medications for Alzheimer's, by the way, Namenda, is actually a medicine that blocks glutamate. Okay, so, but there's other natural ways to do that. All right, um, first degree relatives of anybody who's been vaccine damaged. That, that's, that's when you gotta really be careful. Okay, first degree relatives of anybody who's had an autoimmune condition, much higher risk. If you have an, uh, this is what really got me from the very beginning. There was report after report after report that the people who, maybe healthy people don't need the vaccine, but people with chronic conditions, they're the ones that need it. I'm going like, should be the opposite. Because people who have chronic conditions, especially if they have autoimmune conditions, they're much more likely to be injured by that vaccine. We've known that all along for, a lot, for many years, but even more so now. Okay, so it's, um, it's, it's like, it's shocking how, how there's been so much misinformation and they're gonna call what I'm saying right now misinformation, guaranteed, guaranteed. Okay, because they can't have this narrative out there. They can't allow people to know what the actual truth is. Okay, so anybody with uh, Ehlers-Danlos, and this is based on the research. There's actually a lot more that I work with. Uh, but uh, anybody who has this, you know, uh, double-jointed or connective tissue disorder, they, their skin is really stretchy. You know, that's kind of like neat. I've, I've had friends that are like, oh, my joint, I can pull my elbow all the way back and my skin's really stretchy. That it greatly increases risk for vaccine injury or COVID injury. Okay, so those, those are just things it's good to know about, right? Uh, um, they, it's also, uh, so who's at higher risk? Uh, what are the risk factors? The, it's important to understand that the vaccine batches, okay, have, uh, for instance, if people got a vaccine at one of these big open air coliseums, you know, or or football stadiums, okay, where they weren't really able to keep the vaccines uh, at, at that super cold temperature, there's a chance that a lot of those vaccines were just mush. In other words, there was just the MR, the lipid nanoparticle and the, and the modified, genetically modified mRNA uh, would have been degraded. So it, it couldn't have caused, it couldn't have caused the now what we know to be damage if it was already degraded when you got the injection, right? So, so that's one theory as to 
why some people, you know, lucked out uh, with that vaccine. Uh, the, there's other, other reasons too. There's all kinds of other batches. There's some batches were highly contaminated or they had super high concentrations of the lipid nanoparticle with their mRNA payload. Um, and if you got a super high concentration, clearly those that are at risk are gonna have a much greater risk from that. Um, okay, females unfortunately are much greater risk uh, of, of damage than males. And so there has, there's something to do with hormones. We're not sure, really clear on that. At least I'm not super clear on that yet. But, uh, but it's clearly in the medical literature. Females are at higher risk. So protect your women, protect your daughters, right? That's really, really critical there. Uh, on undernutrition or hypercaloric malnutrition, okay, Avalon is a, as a, one of my favorite RDs, you understand this, right? Uh, that, that you can be undernourished because you're not eating enough, and that does happen to a lot of people as they get older, but you can also be undernourished because you're eating too much of the wrong foods. So you can have somebody that is, that is significantly overweight actually have uh, a, a form of malnutrition because you're just not getting the foods that actually nourish the body, right? So that sets people up for immune dysfunction. So they're at greater risk when other things also promote immune dysfunction. And then there's blood tests, people with high homocysteine. I check, homo I check all these tests in everybody. I check a lot more than this but these are the ones that immediately popped out in the medical literature on this topic, okay, where, where if people with high homocysteine are more likely to have the blood coagulopathies, you know, the, the thrombotic events and so forth, which is, of course, the number one early risk factor that comes from this. You can have a major thrombotic event over two years after the last vaccine. Okay, that, that, that more and more researchers and doctors believe was actually caused because of the vaccine. Okay, but you know, not in a vacuum. There's always other factors that mitigate that risk as well. That's, that's the whole role of our health measures. Now, what do we do for people who've already done that? There is hope, absolutely. I work with patients all the time and I encourage them. I give them hope. There's things that we can do. Okay, so... Um, so various tests, glucose tolerance testing to look at insulin levels, very powerful. Why? Because the higher the blood sugar, the higher the risk of COVID infection and the higher the risk of vaccine injury. Okay, so, so that's, why, that's why we gotta deal with the fundamentals. Okay, our health message is, is, is has so much to give us on dealing with the fundamentals. And then if we're wise and we reason from cause to effect, we can get into every aspect like what we're doing right now in dealing with spike injury. Uh, okay, so, so here, I I'm just gonna go over uh, this one, a couple quick studies. I have tons of studies that we're never gonna get to today. Okay, but I just wanna go over a couple, and then I'm gonna get into treatment strategies real quick. Um, so here, here's, a, here's a key study that shows how powerful the, the vaccine creates immune dysfunction. And this was done by the Cleveland Clinic. The Cleveland Clinic. Uh, and and these, uh, these researchers, um, uh, Dr. Sharista and, and Dr. Burke and others, 
published in April of 2023, this groundbreaking study where they were looking at, at many, many uh, over, well, it's, it was 48,000, 48,000 individuals. Of course, all the fact checkers came out and, and doctors and all the social media and newsletters and journals were saying, oh, no, no, the study didn't say, didn't say that it would increase risk for infection. It said this. Now, what's, and I don't have time to go over this. This is fully discussed in detail in my other videos, okay? But the point is that the fact checkers are really good at stating facts that completely deceive us because what they said was technically correct, but, but, but what, we, what we thought we read was something completely different. Okay, and so they, they'll not, many fact checkers, I'm not saying fact checking is bad, we should all be fact checking, right? I'm just saying that most of the fact checkers that I read, okay, are usually on the side of, of promoting the original narrative as opposed to really looking for what the truth is. Okay, so, so, the, so this, the, these doctors, the Department of Infectious Disease at Cleveland Clinic, the, the second most prestigious medical institution in the world, okay? So this isn't just somebody, you know, writing a, a, a letter, you know, on, on, on Twitter, you know, saying uh, this is what I think happened. No, these are some of the top researchers in the world, okay? And this is what they said, bottom line, is that with every single increasing uh, a, a dose, Okay, of, of the vaccine. In other words, they had over 48,000 employees at Cleveland Clinic, okay? 25% of their employees chose not to do it even though it ended up being mandated. It's just not, we're not gonna do it, okay? And um, by the way, that's, that's typical. In the United States, about 25%, in some areas, 33% just said, no, I'm just not gonna do it. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not gonna let anybody manipulate or coerce me to, to do this. Okay, even though people are saying that you're gonna kill your grandma, and it was all lies. The best thing could ever happen to even the, the at-risk population was just to go through in one season. Just let people get sick, get over it. That's how you develop herd immunity. Okay, so, uh, but, but when I say let people get sick, I mean have early treatment options immediately available. That would take care of it, right? So, all right. So as, as we look at uh, the, the, the duration of the study, with every, so the, with every single dose, every single dose of the vaccine, the, the risk of, of getting COVID later on went up roughly 100%. Okay, just think about that for a second. Okay, think about the original broken promises that were never really there was no data supporting their promises and, and what they said, it's gonna, it's gonna stop the infection, it's gonna prevent the infection, it's gonna stop transmission. None of that was ever true. Uh, and we knew that from the beginning, but their narrative was so powerful in the social media and the news agencies that they, they won the day and many people succumbed to the message. Okay, so, um, so bottom line, look at that. Okay, so, and this is Cleveland Clinic, and they mandated the vaccine eventually. You know why they did? Uh, my sister-in-law works for Cleveland Clinic. And um, she told me, she says, they did not want to mandate it. They were, they were very eager not to mandate it. 
But federal Medicare said to them, if you don't mandate this, we will not pay you anything on your Medicare uh, visits. It became a financial issue. So, and so if you know anything about, about healthcare, as soon as a CFO or CEO or president of any medical system hears that Medicare is not going to pay, the government controls roughly 80% of payments in healthcare. That would, have, that would have ruined them instantly. Okay, in other words, they chose not the path of integrity. They, uh, uh, they, they chose the path of, well, I don't, want to, I, I, I don't want to lose out on Medicare funds. Now, they would have eventually got that back. All this has been a big game of chicken. Okay, and unfortunately, a lot of people ended up being chickens. Okay, so a lot of us. Okay, so, but we got we to gotta take that back. So, so this is a powerful, powerful study. Now, then, then, then there was a follow-up study that, that just came out that was in, uh, just published in September 14 of 2023 in, in uh, XIV. okay? So this is the Cleveland Clinic follow-up study, okay, by, published by the same authors, and they, they actually published two separate summaries. Uh, I don't know how many weeks apart, but I, I found it really interesting. They, they said that, that among the 48 plus thousand working age Cleveland Clinic employees, those up to date on COVID-19 vaccination did not have a lower risk of COVID-19 than those not up to date. Their conclusion, the current CDC definition of being up to date and fully vaccinated is a meaningless classification of risk of COVID-19 in the adult population. Pretty heavy-hitting comment there. They're basically rejecting the CDC's definition, and they're the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. Now, I would, I would, I would argue with that statement, though. I don't think it's meaningless. I think it's deceptive. There's some meaning there. Okay. I think their definition is deceptive, and we need to understand it as such in order to make a good decision. Now, the other, the other summary comment that they made was among working-age Cleveland Clinic employees, those not up-to-date, in other words, those who had not taken the vaccine, okay, had a lower risk of COVID-19 than those who were up-to-date. That's a little bit more information, right? That's said in another way, but it's saying, wow, you're better off if you're not up to date. So here's, here's the number one recommendation. Okay, if you, if you walk away with no other information, if everything else is just kind of flies over your head, do not get, another, if you did get vaccinated, do not do it again. Okay, I mean, you can do what you want. You have every right to do it. Okay, just understand there's going to be consequences, potentially. Maybe you'll get lucky and you'll get, a, you'll get one that doesn't have anything in it or it's all mush, okay, or it's a batch that, you know, they didn't have any, any, any mRNA or lipid nanoparticle left, so they just made a vaccine that didn't have anything in it. Who knows, okay? But would you want to play that kind of Russian roulette? Not me. Not me. So, okay, so that's, that's Dr. McCullough has been saying this for over a year and a half. Do not do it again. If you, if you did it. That's the number one preventive medicine strategy right there, okay? Just like in everything else in your health message, 
okay, is that if, if we've been doing something that we thought was healthy for us and it ends up being the opposite, it ends up being really bad for us, then the next step is to make a decision not to do that anymore. <laughs> Find something better, right? Uh, all right, so, um, okay, so now we have this whole issue of spicopathy. Okay, so the bottom line is that the COVID-19 spike protein is pathogenic from both the virus and the vaccine mRNA. So they make a very, this is like a 50-page document, uh, published as a review in August of 2023 in the journal Biomedicines. Now, I'm going to have to move, I'm going to have to move forward here because I have just a few minutes left. Um, Picked the wrong day to forget my glasses. Let's see here. Oh. Any glasses will do, hopefully. Uh, oh, these are mine. Thank you, Beverly. <laughs> Glad somebody's watching out for me. Um, okay. Okay. Skipping a lot of good stuff, but I promise I'll have more stuff online pretty soon. Um, so basically, spikeopathy, or the toxicity of the spike protein, um, is, it's neurodegenerative. Um, the, the lipid nanoparticles in the mRNA in the lipid nanoparticle crosses the blood-brain barrier. It was originally a technology designed to take chemo to the brain. Of course it's going to go to the brain. It's not going to stay in the muscle. Okay, everybody that was involved in that technology knew it was going to go everywhere. But they kept saying, no, it's just going to stay there in your arm. Com completely a non-scientific statement to make. It went everywhere. And so that, that, that technology that creates, that basically modifies your own cells or, or hijacks your own cells to make spike protein, can happen in any organ of your body, including your brain, your ovaries, your testes, your, your, your pancreas. And, and so tomorrow we're going to talk a little bit about how this relates to the, um, the uh, amyloidogenic amyloid pathology, which, which ha happens in the brain, really in any organ system. When the body produces amylin or amyloid, that's actually part of the immune system. It's trying to attack something. It's trying to attack the to a, a toxin or a virus, okay? The problem is, in the process of doing that, it destroys the organ. It destroys the brain. It destroys the pancreas. It, the cells that make insulin are destroyed and so forth. And so, so that's, why, that's why it's so critical that we get rid of the pathogenic substance. Stop getting it put into your body and find ways to to degrade it and to get it purged out of the body. Okay, so 
uh, it, it, it can cause potential hypocampal atrophy. I have many of my patients who have uh, forms of cognitive decline get a, a, an MRI, uh, MRI rather, that evaluates, evaluates hippocampal atrophy. This part of the brain responsible for short-term memory are, are the cells in that area of the brain dying and therefore is that organ, that part of the brain shrinking. Uh, so, all right, okay, so, the, so we all know about the, 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 the eight natural remedies, and I'm just gonna really quickly, I have a whole hour presentation on the Spanish flu. Uh, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna say one thing. What we learned uh, about the Spanish flu, okay, uh, in, in, our, in our institutions in 1918, was the ones that focused on our natural methods Basically, the Spanish flu went through, infected many, many people, but, but at, at least at the Hutchinson Seminary in Minnesota, okay, 90 people infected, not one died. Not one. Now, and how, how, can, how, how could that? And that was far worse than COVID pandemic. Far, far, far worse in terms of the virulence of it. Uh, and, and so what, what, what was the main message of what we do for that? Okay, and, that, and that's this here. This is Dr. Larson, who is a resident physician at, at the seminary, it's the Seventh-day Adventist Seminary in Minnesota. Okay, and he had a, a proactive multifactorial early treatment protocol. Okay, uh, kind of like what Dr. Peter McCullough did uh, early in 2020. Uh, and, and, you know, I had one on my website in February of 2020. Said so these are just, it's been available to us all along. We just need to take advantage of it. Okay, so number one is rest. That's the one that most people fail to do. Even the people that went home, okay, people that are just a little bit sick, they just kind of blew it off. And they let that virus replicate and replicate until it got them. And so you gotta, as soon as you have early symptoms of a respiratory illness, sinuses or you know, upper respiratory, lower respiratory, you gotta rest. You gotta just stop working. You, you got to do it, because otherwise you could be dead, literally, right? Okay, or, or more subtly, you could end up with a long COVID that could increase your risk for cancer two, three years out. You could end up with a long COVID that increases the risk of autoimmunity for the rest of your life. You could end up with all kinds of problems that you wouldn't easily be able to associate with that original mild illness. Okay, so you gotta rest. This is, this is probably the single most important step, which we're very bad at doing. Okay, at least I am. Okay, yeah, so complete bed rest was required. Okay, then, then uh, basically fomentations, hot cold hydrotherapy strategies. I will immediately, if I, if I notice, right, if I start craving sugar or feeling tired or losing motivation, or not, not wanting to study, that's, that's strange for me, right? Uh, if I don't wanna play basketball on Tuesdays and Thursdays, go, whoa, something's wrong here. That means that my body is, my immune system's suppressed. I got a problem. So I immediately start resting more, making sure I'm going to bed early, getting plenty of rest, and I'm doing hot, cold showers. I get in the shower, do three to five minutes, hot as I could take it, chest and back, and then turn it all the way cold. 
Now, in California, cold is not Michigan cold. I did a hot, cold shower this morning. Uh, that's cold water. Woo! That woke me up. It was really early for me California boys, right? But, but after that, I was like, good, I'm, I'm, I'm awake now, okay? So, but that, both the hot and the cold uh, uh, independently activate the adaptive immune system. So, so, so critical. Okay, so, um, and then we have, we have the, the, the biggest part of rest is that when we start feeling better, I work with a lot of patients who have adrenal fatigue, uh, uh, kind of adrenal insufficiency-like syndromes, and, and uh, they start doing the things I say, and they start feeling better and more energy. It's like, wow, and then they want to start doing all kinds of stuff, and then they burn their adrenals out, and then they're worse off later on because they tried to do too much too quickly. Okay, and so, so bottom line is, is that relapse is what killed most people with the Spanish flu. And I, I believe that relapse is what killed most people with COVID as well. Okay, is that they didn't rest enough. They go like, I'm okay. I heard this from so many patients. My husband, my, my wife, uh, my, my father, my mother, whatever. They were fine. You know, they were just, you know, had little symptoms and that. They, they were kind of blowing off, you know, going, you know doing early treatments. Yeah, I'm going to be all right. And um, two days later, they're dead. Okay? Because they, they had that rebound, that rebound problem because they didn't recover fully. Make sure you recover fully. The criteria at the Hutchinson Seventh-day Adventist Seminary was that if you were sick and you were recovered, you thought you recovered, you stay in bed another one to three days. That's hard to do, because now, now you're behind three, four days, right? Like, I got to get back to work. Well, you, if you're not fully recovered, you're at risk of death, especially with something like, like Spanish flu or COVID. Okay, so, so, that, so b b bottom, bottom line is we want, we want the world around us, the community around us, to say what, what, the, what the newspaper writers uh, said about the Hutchinson Seminary in, 2000, in, in 1918. They said, as a result of this system of handling a disease that was scoring thousands of victims every day, there has not been one case that could have been called serious or a single death in the seminary, although there were more than 80 persons affected. The record is remarkable. It makes the ordinary method of dealing with the flu appear irrational. Our health message, when used properly, is going to prove that the ordinary methods today are irrational. Amen. And they are. Okay. So, um, so then Ellen White says in, in 1902, she says, Always study and teach the use of simplest remedies and special blessings of the Lord may be expected and followed. Now, they, basically, I had some examples of charcoal and the eucalyptus oil and... and those will be available in another lecture. I just want to finish up here, um, finish up with a, um, okay, so, okay, basically, if we're dealing with, with spike protein pathology, we've been infected, we've had COVID, we're not, you know, how many people have COVID and they just don't really feel the same? You know, for, for a year, I mean, they're okay, but they're, right, they're not the same person anymore. They're not as healthy. They're, it definitely has taken a toll. What's going on? It's like, it's like some, something is still 
germinating within us, and it is. It's usually a chronic low-grade disease, a chronic low-grade virus of some type. They can stay in the immune system. These viruses stay in the immune system, inside the immune cells, indefinitely. You can't measure it in the blood because it's not in the blood, it's in the immune cell. Okay, so, so, so these are important things. So we want to reverse metabolic disorders. Again, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. Eat a whole plant-based diet. All kinds of studies showing that was helpful. Avoid fast food and refined foods, obviously, right? Uh, intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, okay? Help the body fight the disease and get rid of the infected cells. That's so critical. Okay, uh, exercise daily, light walks after meals, somewhat harder, get sweaty exercise away from meals. Every day, do, do, uh, it was, uh, was it uh, Alexander the Great said to his soldiers when they weren't fighting in battle, said that one rule is work, is sweat for at least half an hour every day. So they work out so that you sweat for at least half an hour a day. That's a good rule. Okay, sweat, sweat, sweat every day. That's why sauna is so valuable as a detox. Uh, but, but so we've got exercise, stress management is critical. You know, whenever you're under stress, your immune system immediately gets suppressed. Okay, I'm not stressed giving talks. I'm stressed getting ready for talks. Because there's just so much, you know, making slides and all this. There's so much to do. Okay, so, but, so that, that's when I'm at the most likely time to get sick is when I'm getting ready to do some major talk because I'm going, how am I going to organize this, right? There's so much to say. Okay, hydrotherapy we talked about and so forth. So, so there, are, there are rational strategies. So this is Dr. Peter McCullough, okay, published a, a, a paper on on how to detoxify from spike protein from both the COVID infection and the vaccine injury syndromes. Okay, and basically, basically what he promotes based on an extensive review of the literature. And, and by the way, I've been doing this a long time. I, I've, been, I've been using natokinase as a systemic enzyme therapy for over a decade. Why? Because when I did my genetic deep dive, I discovered I had the factor five Leiden mutation. Thank you, Dad, for contributing that mutation. <laughs> it's, it's from the Youngberg family line. Almost all of us have some mutation on blood clotting. Okay? And, and I, I remember uh, standing next to you, Dad, at your brother Gordon's funeral. We buried him right here at, uh, at the cemetery overseeing the lake. And uh, I was in college at the time, and he was an ER physician who died in his 50s, right, from a massive heart attack working in the ER. I, I bet you anything he had the factor V Leiden mutation, which increases risk for blood clotting 800%. I have it. So I use natokinase. That's a simple remedy. That's a principle. Of course, Ellen White never talked about it because it wasn't available. You know, the Japanese have been eating it for 2,000 years, right, as, as a natto, okay, a fermented soybean. Uh, which is a very acquired taste type food. But natokinase, one of the most effective ways to, it actually breaks up blood clots. It's better than any, any prescription blood thinner because it actually, blood thinners don't break up blood clots. Natokinase does, okay? And so, nat, so natokinase will actually break up spike protein, whereas other things in the body can't, okay? Bromelain, curcumin, uh, N-acetylcysteine, 
Those four in particular, I recommend to my patients uh, on a daily basis. I, now, natokinase, you have to be a little careful with if you're already on a major blood thinner like Eliquis or Xarelto. Um, it's just from a medical legal standpoint, I have to be careful with that. But natokinase by itself, uh, uh, otherwise is extremely effective at dealing with the spike protein issues. Uh, so uh, natokinase typically at 2,000 international units, uh, uh, twice a day, empty stomach about an hour before a meal. Okay, bromelain, also empty stomach, 500 milligrams once a day. A curcumin, five to, 500 to 1,000 milligrams twice a day, a very powerful uh, uh, nutrient to lower inflammation, et cetera. Okay, uh, so anyways, that's, pardon me? That is in, um, see, oops. Oh, there it is. Uh, that is published in the Journal of the American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, uh, volume 28, fall 2023. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so, all right. So, it, so that, that's, that's the key. When I, when I talk with patients, okay, uh, and by, when I talk with patients, I, I very, you know, first of all, I develop a relationship with them. They, I don't pray with patients at the beginning of a visit. I pray with them at the end of the visit. I don't want to come across as being manipulative in any way. I, I'm not going to pray for somebody unless I have a relationship with them. Because otherwise, they're going to wonder what my motivation is. Just, who does he think he is imposing his religious beliefs on me? Right? So at the end of an hour visit, after I've clearly demonstrated, hopefully, that I care for them and I have their best interest at heart, I'm going to help them make good decisions. I'm not going to coerce them and shame them into doing anything that they don't want to do. I'm here to help you make good decisions. Then I will, I will offer to pray for them. They almost always, 99% of the time, they'll say absolutely, even if they have no personal interest in that type of spirituality, but they now know I care for them. So like, okay, if you think it's going to help, then do it. And I say, yeah, I do think it'll help. I think God can help you. And, that, and that, uh, that empowers God's angels to do things that otherwise they could not do. That's the, because we have, gotten, we have gotten approval or acknowledgement that that's okay with them, that they, they, they've allowed that to happen. And now, Heavenly agencies can work on their behalf that otherwise might not have been able to work. Um, so, so likewise, I will ask them, I will ask them, uh, we're, uh, what was your experience with COVID? Okay, and, uh, and so they'll, you know, most everybody had some type of COVID, right? And so we talk about that for the few minutes. And then, and then what was your decision with regards to the vaccine? And then they'll tell me their story. Okay, and then and if, they, if they had one or more vaccines, I will explain to them, that, help them understand in a nice way, in a non-judgmental way, that there's a risk associated with that potentially, and these are the things that you can do to impact that. So, so basically, let, I'm going to finish with these last couple of slides. Okay, basically, one of the biggest problems with, with, uh, with uh, the spike protein, both from COVID and the vaccine, is that it can get, it can infect, 
and, and, and get into the gut, the gut bacteria, and it can stay there as long as you have gut bacteria, which is forever, right? And so, so that's why uh, COVID and COVID vaccines destroy bifidobacteria almost completely. Okay? And that's a very critical probiotic to, to optimize the immune system. And so bottom line is, is, um, is you, you want to replace bifidobacteria into your system. So get on a good probiotic that has a lot of bifidobacteria. Get also a good prebiotic. I, I like the rabinogalactin powders myself. I've been using those for 30 years in my practice. IHE is one brand, but there's many uh, that you can choose, okay? They dramatically enhance the immune system via the gut-associated lymphatics, which, which activates 70% of your immune system in the gut, in the gut. So that's critical to have good, good uh, gut uh, function, no dysbiosis. Okay, then optimize your vitamin D level. Okay, which, which means you gotta do what? You gotta test. Okay, when, until I tested, I thought, oh, my vitamin D is gonna be fine. I'm in the sun in Guam in the middle of the afternoon about an hour a day, because I do a lot of lecturing at night. So I'd be in, the, in a swimming suit outside on the beach for an hour a day. My vitamin D was only 24. Do not believe anybody that says you get all the vitamin D you need from being in the sunlight, especially this time of year. You get zero vitamin D, even if you're outside all day long this time of the year, zero, okay? So, so I'm, I'm all about being in the sun. Don't misunderstand me. I'm a big fan of that, prudent exposure to the sun, okay? But that will not optimize your vitamin D, I guarantee it. I, I, I think I've only seen that once or twice in my, my clinical experience. Okay, so, so optimize your vitamin D. Usually that means a minimum of 5,000 units a day. Most of my patients need 10,000. How do you know? You test, okay? And, and here, here's the bottom line of vitamin D. By the way, you can go ahead and start with, with lunch. I'm just gonna, I'm just talk, but this will be like a dinner with a doctor, okay? Okay, <laughs> okay so, uh, so the, uh, the, so the bottom line with vitamin D is this. Two years ago, a meta-analysis was done on vitamin D that showed that if you kept your blood level of vitamin D above 50 nanograms per ml, your risk of dying from COVID, even if you had the worst Delta variant back in the day, which isn't around anymore, but even if you had that worst one, if your vitamin D was above 50, your risk of dying from that was near zero. Okay, that, that was actually the study said that. It was, it was statistically, it was so low, it just basically just didn't happen. Okay, that's how powerful vitamin D is. And this is an example of a simple remedy that everybody should be taking advantage of. Okay, and if you preemptively do that, if you don't, if you stop being Lady Ocean in terms of your health and just do simple things like vitamin D on a regular basis, that would save you countless problems all by itself. Okay, in fact, that by itself would have rendered the pandemic ineffective in killing people, right? Would that, would that be D3, D2? Uh, it's, it's D3 usually, but D2 will convert to D3. Uh, so just Take vitamin D any way you can get it, okay? Um, all right, and, but check, 
check your levels. In the fall, this time of the year is when it's the highest. In the spring, it's when it's the lowest because we haven't had much sun exposure. Okay, uh, zinc. Zinc is critical. Uh, but zinc by itself can't get into your cell. You have to have an ionophore like quercetin that complexes the zinc and shuttles it into the cell so, so that it allows the zinc to get in, where otherwise it's very difficult for zinc to, to benefit your cell, where it stops viral replication. Okay, and, uh, and so then we have inacetylcysteine, we talked about tw uh, twice a day, 500 milligrams, uh, curcumin, and vitamin C. Uh, I'm, I'm being shut down. <laughs> yes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, all right. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. S. That's what I tell people just come get me when, I'm, when my time's up, because otherwise I'll just keep talking. So, all right, let's, let's bar our heads for a second for the meal, and then, then uh, if you don't mind, I can just keep going a little bit longer. Okay. Um, so, so, let's bar our heads. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to learn more about uh, your wonderful creation, how, how you have created us uh, with a purpose, okay? And uh, you've also given us a purpose as a church, as, as members of this Seventh-day Adventist church, that we have an opportunity to serve you in a unique way where we can, uh, because of our willingness to serve others and to mingle with them, demonstrating to them we desire their best interest that we can attract them to you and we can attract them to your end time message in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Oh, and thank you for the food, P.S. as well. Uh, I'm still talking, by the way. suggest to yeah. those who weren't able to hear the earlier part where they could get copies of this later? I have no idea where that. Uh, uh, the, the, the question just posed me is uh, where people can get copies of this later. I imagine they'll be posted on the website at some point. That, that's, that's what I've heard. So that'll be based on, on yes, Dr. Hess has given me a thumbs up on that. Yeah, so, so that, that'll be posted once they have a little bit of time to edit the, 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 the recording. Okay, so all right, so we have, we have um, so Nick, next slide here is that for early treatment, so let's just say somebody is sick. And you know, what do you do now? This is no longer just early, early pro preventive strategies, but what do you do if somebody's like, ah, oh, you know, somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm sick, what do I do? Okay, and so number one, you do, you, 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 this is based on research and, and my clinical experience for over 20 years. You get 50,000 units of vitamin D five days in a row. And you can even do that twice a day. Now, people say, whoa, 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 that'd be toxic. Well, people who say that's toxic don't, haven't done their research. Okay, let me just say that. It sounds like it'd be way too much. I get that. Okay, but it's definitely not toxic. Okay, and, and of course, there's a reason somebody's sick, right? Okay, and part of that reason is that they probably weren't taking vitamin D, or if they were, they're only taking one or 2,000 units a day, and that's not enough. I've never seen... I've rarely seen that to be enough for, for most patients. So you just temporarily increase the dose. It takes about seven days for your body to turn that vitamin D that you've taken orally into the activated form of vitamin D that fights infection, okay, to, to fully convert. So that's why you want to hit it hard initially 
because it's going to take a while for that to actually work. And you want it to be available when you're going into the inflammatory phase of the infection or the cytokine storm phase of the infection. So that's why you immediately do that. Um, and then the natokinase we already talked about, these, these four right here, these strategies, along with vitamin C multiple times. There's all kinds of good research on vitamin C. Um, there's a reason why one of the, the smartest man alive back in the, uh, back in, uh, well, the 1900s, uh, uh, Dr. Linus Pauling, he's the only two-time Nobel laureate, unshared Nobel laureates ever, and he, he championed the concept of vitamin C, and he was vilified, he was fact-checked, he was censored by all kinds of people in the medical community, but he was the smartest man in the world at the time. He understood this, he was brilliant, he was brilliant, and he knew vitamin C was critical. Our body can't make vitamin C. We're one of the only animals or mammals in, in the world that can't make vitamin C from glucose. Okay, so from glucose, so that's, that's important. Okay, early treatment uh, uh, options as well. I always carry with me this throat spray called Biocidin TS, throat spray. You just spray that in the back of your throat every four hours, it'll knock out a sore throat in a day. Okay, it's very, very powerful. Uh, povidone, 10%, iodine. Uh, I have a whole hour presentation on different aspects of iodine. I carry iodine everywhere I go and you can have an iodine that sprays into your nostrils, you can nebulize with iodine. There's, there's all kinds of critical information on iodine, so make sure you're taking advantage of, of iodine and, and nebulizing the iodine. I, I combine a dilute form of, uh, of uh, liquid iodine with nascent iodine, which makes it super potent, and that'll That'll kill viruses in less than any virus in 15 to 30 seconds. Any virus, Ebola, HIV, dengue fever, West Nile virus, any virus is destroyed by iodine within 15 to 30 seconds when it comes in contact with it. So take advantage of this very simple remedy that we should all have knowledge on how to use. Okay, we already talked about plant-based diets and how important that is about the importance of optimizing microbial health and, and probiotics and prebiotics. Uh, any, any good probiotic is good, like the IAG I mentioned. This is the biocidin. Um, okay, so uh, the, 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 um, the computational prediction studies showed that the best way to inhibit spike protein, two top hits on the computational prediction uh, which is like AI software for medicine, is ivermectin and quercetin. And quercetin, of course, is over the counter. So simple remedies are things easily obtainable by the public. So that quercetin is a simple remedy. Okay, um, so take advantage of those options. Okay. Um, okay, so here's a study done two years ago that showed that when you combine bromelain and, 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 and inacetylcysteine, NAC, when you combine those two things, it actually inactivates or denatures the spike protein. 
this, this, these were a group of researchers that did oncology studies. They were finding that bromac, this combination of bromelain and N-acetylcysteine, actually destroyed cancer proteins. And that, in other words, helping prevent cancer spread. And so what they did then is they figured out that by that this, I wonder if it breaks out other proteins like the spike protein. And sure enough, it did. So this is a very so we've known a long time that this works. It just it just has never caught on until Dr. McCullough started promoting it heavily in the media. Okay, so we know that natokinase is very effective against spike protein as well. Um, and, uh, and this is studied now. Now I was using it for spike protein a long time before the studies came out. Why? Because I was reasoning from cause to effect. It just made sense that it would. Okay, natokinase breaks up amyloid plaques in the brain. There's research on Alzheimer's disease with using natokinase, so I was recommending it for many of my Alzheimer's patients just to use natokinase. It clears up blood clots. It does, you know, it's just good for cardiovascular health uh, and, and for actually decreasing plaque in the arteries and so forth. It's very effective for that, so take advantage of that. We already talked about vitamin D um, and, um, and then this bottom line with iodine, um, I actually posted on Facebook early on all the studies on vitamin D, and it was taken down by, by, um, by Facebook. And they were nicer about it. They didn't say I was promoting violence in the community. Uh, they just said, sorry, this doesn't go along with our community guidelines because we're concerned that this would endanger the public health. I go like, wait a minute, I'm the public health expert. <laughs> that is, that is public, putting together studies that have been peer-reviewed that show vitamin D can dramatically alter outcome of COVID, okay? And, and you're saying that that's endangering the public health? Obviously, they were paid off by the, uh, the, the, uh, the initiatives, right? The, the, the uh, truth in the news initiatives. They just, they got paid off. All these organizations got paid off not to promote anything unless it was the vaccine. Okay, so, all right. So, so iodine has been known for 100 years to kill viruses effectively. So take advantage, take advantage of iodine. And uh, we're almost done here. Um, you can, um, there's all kinds of studies proving this. Yeah, here's a, I'll end with this study. This is a huge study done uh, published in Bioresearch Communications in January of 2022, two and a half years ago, okay? That basically, uh, the, it was a powerful study. They, they basically did, uh, it was a randomized controlled study with 600 individuals who had COVID. And uh, so they randomly did, did and one group just got basically water uh, you know, kind of neti pot stuff. They, they, they use water to, to squirt up into their sinuses and so forth. And they did that for four weeks. The other group had povidone iodine that was diluted 10 to one water. 10 parts water, one part 10% povidone iodine. And look what happened. Within the first three days of the study, the PCR test basically went negative. Okay, so, uh, so the, the group using lukewarm water for their therapy, not, not, they all had the same level of, of testing positive. The group with the iodine, 
basically dramatically altered. Okay, we went down. I, I had many patients says, I'm flying internationally in four days. What do I do? And I'm te I tested positive. I said, just take iodine, spray it in your sinuses four times a day, and I can pretty much guarantee they're going to test negative in three days. And that, that's always worked so far. Okay? And so the, uh, in the study, they also showed here that, that the, the, risk of, the risk of hospitalization went way down. Okay? So, so the group that was using uh, the povidone iodine, only two patients went to the hospital compared to 14 that, that were uh, on the control group. That's a seven-fold difference. Huge, huge. Okay, and, the, and then those who had to have ho, uh, oxygen at the hospital, only 10 who had iodine, 63 who did not get the iodine. Huge, six-fold difference. And then this is an eight-fold difference, those who died. In other words, you're eight times more likely to die if you didn't get the iodine therapy. Simple remedy that you don't have to use exclusively. You just want to use them. You want to put on all the armor of God in the context of our health message. Take advantage of all the natural remedies. Emphasize rest. Make sure that rest is really emphasized. Optimize diet. Uh, optimize stress management. Pray with your patients. Encourage them. Give them hope. Give them a cheerful surrounding and they undoubtedly will get better. And then you add the simple remedies uh, that, that are so effective at further improving your chances. Well, thank you for, for your patience and allowing me to talk an extra half hour. Enjoy your meal. God bless you.